Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's Writers and Authors Show. We air this show every second Wednesday with our friends over at Books Forward. If you're an author, you go check them out, go to booksforward.com. But today, you know what? We're doing like a double feature on today's show. We have Linda B. Davis joining us to talk about her engaging and empowering new middle grade novel. And so we're talking about middle grade books today. Uh, We love this because I'm going to tell you when I was in that age group, I was just like, come on, people, we need some more literature. We need stuff for us. And there wasn't there that much. Now we're seeing more and more authors really embrace it and not only just tell a really good story like Linda's done, but also be topical on themes that are affecting kids. And uh, so it's something they can identify with and maybe the rest of the world is not. And so on this book and her book, Food Fight, we love the name Food Fight. Who doesn't want a food fight? Um, It really uh, focuses on a young boy who is having a food fight because he has an eating disorder, which is known as, I'm going to say ARFID, A-R-F-I-D. She can explain it to us. And what it's like to go through that. He's basically a picky eater, and then you're going to get picked on if you're a picky eater. It comes out through Fitzroy Books and Regal House on June 27th, 2023 this year. So go order it now. Uh, Also go to Linda's website, lindabdavisauthor.com. All the links are in the show notes, whether you're listening on Spotify or YouTube, wherever. So welcome, Linda. How are you? I am fine. Thank you for having me. Hey, so food fight, this is this is the thing. Do, I mean, middle, do you, when you were in school, did we have, I mean, when you were in middle grade, did you have much reading literature that was not really adult? Or it was like nobody hit us in the middle as much, you know? You know, Judy Bloom did a good job of, of trying to fill that gap. Um, but sure, I, sure. I was generally reading um, books that were maybe a little older for me, sometimes a little too old, because you're yeah. right, there wasn't a whole lot to offer. I'm 57. And so Mm-hmm. there were there were not a lot of choices yeah I'm I'm about to go towards that 50 zone and that's what my best friend told me no Lisa you're not turning 45 you're 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 about what I thought I was no I keep forgetting my age it's it's a good habit um but but there really wasn't I mean it, there just wasn't that much that I, I there was a few and then it was almost dumbed down you know what I mean it's like there wasn't like what you've done is something very specific and topical for and I think also when you talk about this being a picky eater I want to talk about that and what this uh, eating disorder is and I don't like the word disorder sorry but I don't Um, I I want to talk about that but also the fact that it could be anyone in middle age a middle grade age group right that is going through something else that can learn from this well, and, and that's exactly what I was thinking about when I decided to write this book, is that my character, Ben, is facing an eating disorder, and we we can talk about more, more about that mm-hmm. in a second. But the thing about Ben's challenges is that it's a unique situation, his eating disorder, but it also plays into all the other challenges that middle graders have. And it leads to the question of how do I fit in? And so what Ben is experiencing in this story is that his eating situation is interfering with his ability to socialize, and it's making him a target for a bully, it's causing problems between Ben and his parents, 
and it's affecting his ability to go on this school trip, an overnight school trip, two nights, three days away mm. from home at a colonial farm where they're going to serve colonial food. And so this is what happens to middle graders. They have a situation that is not occurring in a vacuum. It, it affects everything. And so whether it be an eating disorder or anxiety or maybe problems mm -hmm. at home, everything for middle graders, really like all of us, it kind of oozes into everything else. Are we also in a change over of understanding each other a little bit more and still yet having that you've got to man up kind of thing, you know? Well, I, I hope we're, I hope, and I believe that we are becoming more tolerant and empathetic to people that are having different types of challenges. But I think there is still a lot of that man up mentality, which is part of the reason I chose a boy protagonist, because I think it's mm. even harder for boys. And Ben in this story gets a lot of that of come on, man, what's, what's the problem? And, and talking about Ben's eating disorder called ARFID, you were right the way you pronounced it. It stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, characterized as picky eating, but it's actually much more complicated and much more serious than picky eating. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when we use those words, picky eating, people have a, a reaction to that. They think, oh, well, that's nothing. You're being ridiculous, so on and so forth. But you're and being so, picky. <laughs> you're being picky and you're, you're, you're being difficult. And yeah. so- People in the ARFID world are very cautious about using the, the words picky eater and as they should be because it kind of minimizes what the problem is. And yet I do use the words picky eater when I'm talking to people that don't have any familiarity with it. ARFID yeah. is actually much more complicated than just picky eating, but that's kind of how it's characterized. Can you tell us a little bit more about what, is this something that is new that we're understanding? Has it been around for centuries that we just didn't understand and just called people picky eaters or babies or, you know, dumbed down, you know, because that's really, I, I, I know, like, I know people right now that know me and I can hear them go, oh, come on. Like, I can hear it. I literally can hear it. And it's like, and at the same time, it's like every, like, I can't eat raw tomatoes. I, Nancy, my mom would always like eat your and she tried to get me to eat my tomatoes. And what did I do? I gave them right back. And um, I'm, I'm very good at doing that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's coming back. Later, we find out that actually I do have like a little bit of an intolerance to certain foods that are all in the nightshade family. Some are fine, some are not. Happened with eggplant. Some was like, no, no, you can eat this. I'm like, I don't know. I gave it back again. It's my present. <laughs> so you're going to force me? I'm going to give it back to you. I'm regifting. Well, and, and isn't it cool the way that we become experts in knowing what's good for our own bodies, which is really important. You knew something about your own body. Yeah. So, so going back to ARFID, ARFID is a relatively new diagnosis. It only became a diagnosis in 2013. Of course, mm. there was um, extreme picky eating and there were people really struggling this with this before 2013. Prior to that, it was a diagnosis called selective eating disorder that was only used for people six and under, which means that there, there's a whole group of adults living with ARFID who never really got the diagnosis, the assessment, the treatment, because they were kind of overlooked. Mm. And ARFID is an eating disorder characterized with the other eating disorders that we're more familiar with, like anorexia, bulimia. And, oh, ARFID, wow. and ARFID is characterized... Um, as 
as occurring when someone has a very limited ability to eat a variety of foods or in a, a certain amount of foods. So these are people that are limited by textures, by um, tastes, and by familiarity. And they are not choosing to be narrow in what they can eat. They cannot, they cannot eat these things. And so what ends up happening for a lot of people is that they become reliant on what we call junk food. Because if you go to McDonald's anywhere, the French fries taste the same, the chicken nuggets taste the same. Whereas if you're eating a home cooked meal or you're eating something at someone else's house, it might not taste the same. If you eat a blueberry today and a blueberry tomorrow, it might taste different. It might be squishier or more tart. You see, and no, so, you already got me there. I don't like the flowery meat and stuff. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so a lot of kids are picky eaters when they're little. That's typical that that happens. We start thinking about ARFID when a person's eating, and mostly we're talking about kids today. When a kid's eating and their so-called pickiness is starting to interfere with their growth, their development, mm. their health, and their social functioning in the world. Like Ben in, in Food Fight. I mean, going on this trip, it becomes this big drama for him. Whereas for other kids, it's it's like, oh, we're going out of the house. Like, let's go. And it's it's always an opportunity for shenanigans when you get outside the house and you're going field trips or shenanigans. I mean, that's it. And learning for those who are into it. But for him, this is a big a big deal. It is a drama. It is like, how am I going to get around, navigate this? Am I going to really starve? And he comes up through that, right? Where I'm really hungry. <laughs> Can I take my, my McDonald's fries in my back pocket? Well, and, and that's the thing too, a person with ARFID, and this is what might be hard for some of us more typical eaters to get our head around. Even if they are starving, they are not going to be able to say, okay, already I'll eat a cheeseburger. It, it doesn't work that way. And so, yes, Ben, like all of his friends, really wants to go on this trip, especially because there aren't going to be parents there. And so there's this freedom that middle graders are craving to be with their peers. I mean, it's it's chaperoned by their teachers. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't want to miss out. There are social things that have been happening since the beginning of the school year. He's being targeted by a bully. He has a crush. His, yeah, friends, yeah. Are, his friends are kind of um, not having his back the way they used to. I mean, the, the, the world of middle school is swirling around him. It's mean. It, it's rough. It is rough. And it, and it happens. Um, and he knows he doesn't want to miss out on this trip. He knows that important things are going to happen. And so he goes into the trip with the strategy of basically not eating anything. And he thinks he's gonna pretty much power through. And the other the other um, people that this is stressful for are his parents because they, they wanna do some things that Ben doesn't want them to do. They wanna talk to the school and say, listen, he, you know, he's gonna need some, some accommodations. Um, they wanna send him with some granola. Oh, but that's that. Oh, no. But then then you become the target of, oh, you're being special. You're getting this special treatment and everybody's looking at you. And no, no. When, when I was in school, that was being called like just, oh, that's just so it I can't. I, the, the, it was blind. It's like, oh, no. Great. Nobody wants, me, nobody wants to stick out in middle school. Nobody wants to be that kid. That's nobody wants mom to pick you up. <laughs> exactly. So, so Ben is, is going into a really um, stressful, 
dynamic and potentially disastrous situation. Uh, but the, all of this, I mean, it, so anxiety is attached to this, which I would think is also attached to bulimia and anorexia, those kinds of uh, eating disorders that there's anxiety and then uh, confidence that's attached. So isn't this more of a psychological issue or is it well, also physical? Like what I was talking about with the tomatoes. I mean, I'm joking around, but you, there are things you do need to listen to your body, like you were saying. Well, I, I think that's when it gets kind of complicated. Eating disorders are mental illnesses. They are categorized as such. But because we're talking about food and nourishing our bodies, obviously there are medical complications. And then there are other mental health complications of having an eating disorder. Like you just said, a lot of people with ARFID have anxiety. They have mood disorders. They also are more likely to have um, other types of challenges, ADHD, autism, OCD, there are other medical complications that are comorbid with ARFID, um, gastro problems, constipation. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of other things that can go along with ARFID and mm -hmm. the self-esteem, the, the relationship issues, the power dynamics and the anxiety. And, and how could a kid like Ben not have anxiety with every single meal? Because if he's at home, it's his parents. If he's out in public, it's his peers. And think about it. Think about how often we eat near other people all the time. Then you want to. Then there's people who are closet eaters. I know people who will only eat away from people. Right, and and maybe as adults that's more manageable. But when you're a kid and you're going to school or going not, on a field trip, you don't have the autonomy to do that. Mm, wow. So and now your uh, background, your professional background, backs up the science part of this, right? And and what you've done. Yes, my background is in developmental psychology and social work. And so that I think gave me a good eye for writing this book and, and mm -hmm. thinking about the, the implications and the um, just the, the layers of problems that, that something like this would create for a kid. Well, I want to take this a little step in it. You know, we talk about normal families in a, in, and I say normal in that it's, um, you know, just your regular suburban life and, you know, mom and dad go to work happy kids come home and, and one is not so happy, right? In regards to having ARFID. So then let's take a look at kids that um, they're right now, we're, we're still battling, I know, um, they're hungry and, and they go to school and they get the lunch program. And we're battling that right now, I know, but um, we've been battling that for years. It comes and goes and comes and goes. But if they don't get that lunch program and they're hungry, and they're trying to study, it becomes a huge issue. And then I look at kids that are up for foster and adoption and maybe in an orphanage or a foster home and people not understanding those issues either. So then the, it's like, you're, you're just constantly knocked and knocked down. So I just kind of want to put that other spectrum out there because you know we always think of kids, oh, they're in a typical happy home. No, and I think it's affecting those kids even more. Um, especially kids in poverty. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I, I see it during my research and, and being part of some online communities, I see parents talking about this, that how much food can I throw away? Something that happens not in, in my book, that's something that is common with kids with ARFID is that a food that maybe they liked before suddenly 
for whatever reason they they don't like anymore. And um, a lot of the treatment, which I am not a treatment professional, involves presenting a food repeatedly, trying to get a kid comfortable with it. Maybe you don't eat it, but maybe you, it sits on your plate and you touch it or you get used to it. Well, that's a lot of wasted food, which a lot of households don't have the, the bandwidth to have wasted mm -hmm. food. And so right. it, it can cause, I mean, the emotional strain is already enough, but then it can cause a real financial strain. Just feeding, just feeding typical eaters is a financial strain. Teenage just, boys are like, that's the other thing. Teenage boys like could eat you out of house and home. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how much they can wolf down. <laughs> they can. You well, know? And then the stress as parents, one of our fundamental roles as parents is to feed our children. And so mm -hmm. to try to be feeding a, a kid that is not able to eat and you know is hungry and you know is having consequences of being hungry, like you were saying, a kid who can't study because they can't concentrate. I mean, it's horribly stressful for parents to be in that situation of knowing your kid needs to eat and not being able to feed your kid the way they need to eat. I, I have to be honest, I've never heard of this until your book. And then I was like, oh, you've got to come on the show. Like, this is important. Because I wonder how many schools are even aware of this and parents are actually aware of it or just going, stop being picky. Eat your food, eat those tomatoes, you know. And well, and, and I like it. I didn't it get too. forced into eating tomatoes my, okay. my whole life. Just every, everybody knows. Nancy said, okay, you, you gave it back. We're done. Mm -hmm. I'm glad. <laughs> but, but I liken it to kind of maybe saying to someone who's having a panic attack, stop having a panic attack. That's not going to work. Or someone yeah. who's having an asthma attack, stop it. it it's not going to work. And so that was another reason I wanted to write this book is to put some awareness out there so that maybe people um, will pause before they do or say certain things. Um, we, we say a lot of things that come right out of our mouths and we're not trying to be hurtful, but sometimes we are. And, and I think as a culture, we're getting better about body shaming and food shaming, mm -hmm. but it still happens. And so those seemingly innocuous things that maybe we say to someone who's come over to our house for dinner, oh, you don't want to try this or... And, and people say these things to Ben in the story. Well, what do you mean you don't like pizza? Have you ever tried pizza? Oh, well, you would like my macaroni and cheese. Try mine. I made this special for you. Is that all you're going to eat? How can your parents let you get away with this? Aren't you hungry? I, I mean, we do a lot, of, a lot of pressuring, that, you know, on, on other people. And it happens in schools too. Um, you know, seemingly innocuous lesson plans about mm -hmm. healthy food or the, you know, the types of things. I know I did this when I was a kid, keeping a log of everything that you ate that week and then yeah. talking about junk food. Well, if junk food or what we call junk food is the only food a kid eats, then the last thing they need is to be publicly shamed by their teacher, someone they admire for eating a lot of McDonald's. And so right. there, there are little things that we can all be doing to just be helpful to each other whether we know a lot about ARFID or other eating disorders or not. Yeah, you know, and, and the eating thing is a big deal. Um, you know, I, I grew up in different countries and, and came to the States when I was 19 and coming out of South Africa and Kenya at that point. And um, so raised completely non-American, but, you know, American roots and ties and family. And the first time, we're, and so all the food is different. And to this day, I still crave that food. And um, thank you to all my friends who give me jars of Marmite all the time. I love it. Uh, but anyway, which is disgusting to everybody else. But um, it, when I got here, my aunt 
took me to a mall. This is the first thing you, this is America. And I went, <laughs> what, the, the mall? This is, this is the big idea for America. Like, let me bolt, let me, the culture shock was huge. Going to a grocery store was huge. Nancy and I, and I call her Nancy because we worked together, but we went to grocery shop for the first time. We ended up filling a cart. We didn't know what butter to buy. And we looked at each other and we're like, why are there more than one, but like we're used to one butter. So what's wrong with the butter? Why did somebody else have to make another butter? Why would that be better than butter's butter? So then now we're skeptical of everything. Then we thought, well, we better buy two and see what's right and wrong. We ended up with a cart full. And then we ended up just walking out of the store, just overwhelmed culture shock. Anyway, so my aunt takes me to the mall and you've got to have American pizza. This is when you're cracking me up about the pizza. And I'm like, oh, I love pizza. Oh, no. This is this massive pizza with things like all the sausage stuff that's different than what I've been eating. And you can't just have a root beer, which I've never had. You had to have the giant root beer. And I took a sip of root beer and I'm going, I'm used to ginger beer, which has not all the sweet, you know, I'm going to throw up on the table, like, right, I'm going to give it back again. And it was, it was this meaning. So she just, she was excited to be the tour guide of America, you know, and being very welcoming and sweet. And I'm going, I can't, my body can't do this. And I do have actual food intolerances. And I've been a colicky since I came out and was born into this world. I was a colicky kid and couldn't eat this, couldn't eat that picky, as you may say, but it wasn't not a mental, it was a true physical things. And she didn't get it. She didn't get it. When we lived in England, our family there kept giving me things that I'm allergic to, even though my mom would say, Lisa can't have that much chocolate, she will be sick. And they would give him say, don't tell your mom. And what would you do as a seven, eight year old? You're going to eat the chocolate. What would happen? I'd be up all night sick. So it's this very hard thing to break over when it's actually people really want, they're, they're trying. These people are all sweet, amazing human beings. Well, and, and you bring up an important point about culture is that we share a lot of food related cultural identity. And so when mm. your when your aunt took you to the mall, she wanted you to have an, an American experience, which is pizza and root beer. When we have people over for Thanksgiving, for the most part, we want to have that, you know, Rockwell look. We want the gravy and stuffing. And I mean, a lot of Thanksgiving food is kind of gross. Listen, what is, the what is the marshmallows doing on top yeah. of the, I thought it was cheese at my first American <laughs> Thanksgiving. And again, like, let me give it back to you. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, and so that, that requires a shift for a lot of families is, can we have a nice Thanksgiving, even if some people are not going to eat these traditional meals? And does that change this holiday for us? Does that change the meaning of a get together? And and I really don't think it has to, but for a lot of people, it, it takes a little of intention at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's funny that you said that about coming from, from South Africa. I have a daughter who lived in Botswana for a period of oh, time. Cool. And she met some kids from Botswana who had come to America, had actually come to Chicago, where we live. And she asked what, what they thought of Chicago. And they had a lot of very interesting observations. But one was that, <laughs> and this isn't just Chicago, it's America. They said, they sell food everywhere, everywhere. You go into a, a clothing store, they're selling food. I mean, and it's true. And ever since I heard that, it, I, I notice it. We do, we sell food and snacks 
everywhere you you can buy something, everywhere you spend money. And, mm-hmm. and that is something, I guess, maybe a little unique to us. I'm not sure. It, yeah, you're right. You're right. And the, the takeout, like when we lived in Mexico, they were just bringing McDonald's and Pizza Hut and Walmarts. And, and the people there were like, well, we want to have what you Americans have over there. And I'm like, no, you don't. You really don't know. And they're like, oh, yes, we do. We want what we want. And we're like, okay. And it sucks because they were actually a very healthy community. And now they started to go through obesity like we are fighting in, in our country. And um, it's not it's not a healthy thing, but there's these, the fast food like you're talking about is also tied into almost becoming, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated. And I think that's the thing. Everything is complex. Um, like Thanksgiving, you know, we are such a multicultural society, whether people like it or not, it's it's true. And families, uh, children are going to go marry people you may like or not like, but that's just going to have to move on over this kind of thing and work through it together. Like you said, what is the meaning of the holiday of Thanksgiving? Okay, so there's all the things about, well, that actually wasn't a nice, you know, let's go to Christopher Columbus, not great. Um, but then we could go, let's look at Thanksgiving thanks and gratitude. So a holiday like that, we have an education uh, specialist, Bobby DePorter. She was always talking about, she says, as society shifts, we have to shift as parents and educators have to shift. And, and, you know, kids and friendships, we have to become, oh, things are always changing. That's the one thing that's constant, uh, constant, I should say. And when we look at Thanksgiving, she, she always said, at this point, when you have a new family member enter, into the family, whether it be a girlfriend, whether it be a spouse, whether it be a new baby that has a friend who's of a different, you know, place or whatever, it's time to change your family traditions and make new ones together. That is inclusive of all of the family. And once you do that, it brings everyone united. What do you want to celebrate? How do you, what can we all do that everyone is incorporated so someone is not left out? You right. Know? And so that everyone's comfortable. I mean, if you're, if you're going to host something, don't you really want people to be comfortable? Isn't that why we host and spend time together to enjoy each other? So, mm-hmm. so, so yes, I think tolerance is, is a big deal. I think tolerance is important in this story. And, and it's also been learning to accept himself. He, he really doesn't want to be like this. He wants to be like other kids, and he, right. um, throughout the course of the story, gets some new information. He, at the beginning of the story, he doesn't know about Arfid. He learns about Arfid and, um, and learns that this is not his fault. There's nothing wrong with him. Um, but that's a big deal, too, is that he, he and many people take on a lot of emotional burden of thinking that if they're struggling with something, it's their fault. Mm. Yeah, and that you're, you're less than them, the rest. There's this, exactly. you're not good enough. And that's not true. You know, it's, it's, a, we should be celebrating our differences, you know? Well, and we should be, like I was just saying, tolerant and accepting and creating environments where people can be a little more honest about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I read that there's this, um, a disor- I just don't like the word disorder, but whatever. Um, the disorder of people not standing, people chewing and crunching. Mm-hmm. Like, Nancy and I both can't stand. If someone starts crunching on ice, we both sit there and you'll see the, the best fake smile in the planet. And we literally are, I don't know if I just inherited it from my mom, but 
we literally crumble when people crunch on ice. And then I learned that there's that is an actual disorder. Yes, that is, and I, like, and I can what? never pronounce it, and so I'm not going to try. But no, it, I, I, but, but again, it's it's real. It's not just the, a quirky thing about you. I mean, there are certain sounds and and textures and things that I don't like. I can. I can handle it. And it sounds like even though you don't like that ice sound that you can handle it, but there are some people with that disorder that cannot eat or concentrate if someone is chewing gum next to them. And so again, for, for people that don't have those challenges, that might sound a little silly or ridiculous, but if we can take a minute and pause and say, well, what would, what, what's the, what's the ickiest thing that would upset me if I was in class and I needed to, you know, take a test and someone was doing something next to me that was absolutely making it impossible for me to do what I needed to do, what kind of acceptance and grace would I need in that situation? Oh, I like that you use the word grace because I feel like we've become a very brazen culture. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, you, you don't just go into someone's house and put your feet up on their coffee table. But I feel like we are in a society that does that. I also don't think that we should always be overly politically correct. I think there's a balance of actually getting to know someone. That's where I think we're, we're, we're getting political and drawing lines in the sand and not actually understanding it all. It's better to understand and then just treat people with respect. That's it. You, you know what I mean? It's I, I do. And, I, and I, I don't understand how just being decent and kind can be politicized, but it can Okay. <laughs> it is. But I love that you're you're really focusing on the middle grade age because that age group, that's when you're all of that that stuff happens to your body. And your body's going through all these chemical changes and puberty's coming and all of that happens and um all of it, man. It's it's a big deal at that age. And I think our kids are growing up faster than when I was in school. I mean, I they're they way ahead. Too. I think they are too. And the other thing about middle schoolers is they're out in the world on their own more than they were a couple of years before. And so Ben mm -hmm. in this story um, talks about when he was a little bit younger, his mom would be close by and she could help him navigate different situations, a birthday party or something like that. She could have a snack in her purse, but middle graders are out in the world on their own socializing without a parent or an ally. And they don't always have the ability to advocate for themselves and they don't always have people around them that are going to be responding to their needs correctly mm. and, or, or empathetically. And so it, it's kind of a recipe for disaster. Mm. I almost want to say we should look at it as though like what it's like for a, a woman going through a morning sickness, like some things just make you sick. Like that's it. Something Maybe if we looked at it that way and you can't help it. And you can't help it. A lot of people with ARFID talk about it as a phobia, an actual fear, mm. a fear of eating things. And so people with phobias of, you know, I don't know, spider snakes. I don't think we would say to that person, you know what, this spider is really nice. I think you should hold it, give it a chance. It it it, it just wouldn't co compute. No. And, so, and the spider doesn't want it either. <laughs> the, spider, the spider really doesn't want it. No, but you're really right about that. I have a friend who is. Um, it, it's absolutely a, a unique thing, but I, and I couldn't believe it when she told me, I was like, what? She's an amazing photographer, but she has a phobia of butterflies. And that's that, that's this thing. 
but she has worked hard on herself as a photographer to she took some footage of a butterfly moth once and I went oh, you did it you know and she's like I'm working hard but she goes like it's a real um it's like a horror film kind of feeling for her that's how she could put it um that it just gives her the absolute creeps and she can't help it she doesn't want to and she's just oh I know they're beautiful I don't dislike them but I cannot help that feeling but she's worked so hard to just go okay take a deep breath and get past it because it is fear still so I wonder why we have so many fears as human beings and how long has this been going on I mean when you think about all these life big events we've had in in years could be going through the great depression and are you going to be a picky eater during the great depression right when this is all you get to eat so was it there at that time you know what i mean so i'm kind of looking at that where did these fears crop up was it once things got a little easier for us that these things come down through like fear that true real i mean i'm not saying these are not real fears so before everybody yells at me right. i'm talking about like there's life and death fear and some mm -hmm. of it can manifest into these situations right so fear is fear but i wonder if fear can go through us genetically to the next generation and generation down that you had to suppress to survive and then it well, comes through later in all these different forms well and i mean that could be a whole other podcast i think that there is um intergenerational transmission of fear and there's a lot of very cool research about that right now wow um and i think there's a socio-biological component to what we're talking about that even in in researching arfid um at one point even when ben is meeting with a therapist and talking about um super tasting which is that some people with arfid are more sensitive to certain tastes than other people and there's a hypothesis that that might be because a long time ago, hundreds, thousands of years ago, we had to know which plants to eat and which plants not to eat. And so maybe someone who could taste something um, more accurately than someone else would be less likely to eat a plant that was going to kill them. So there's that. Then there's also a study that I think just came out this year that said that ARFID seems to be highly... Um, genetically transmitted, like some things wow. like autism are, ADHD. And so I think that these are all really cool and interesting questions. And I think we're just starting to scratch at the surface of these things. So ARFID- Be kind, yeah, be yeah. kind, because this is genetic history that no one, you know, that's amazing though. I'm fascinated. I, I, that's a rabbit hole that I will never pull out of now. Yeah. And then, and just, and just to be sure to say, some people seem to develop ARFID for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Some people have a traumatic event, um, vomiting or getting sick, and it um, kind of triggers an ARFID response. And mm. so there's no one way that people get ARFID or don't get ARFID. Well, yeah. I mean, there's people that, you know, got really drunk in college or high school and don't drink. They're like, I can never do it again. And I'm like, it's probably a good thing then. <laughs> you don't need to. Yes. <laughs> no, nobody yes. needs to. You know, that's so maybe learning. that's a good thing. That's a good learning thing. Your body mm -hmm. said no, and and that's a that's healthy. So I think that's kind of cool. Wow, this is so fascinating. I'm so glad you're doing this. And that again, going back to the age group that you're, you know, uh, targeting with your your book. Um, I also think it's really great 
for parents to get involved because kids do teach parents. I think that's cool. And having that knowledge out there is like, oh, what are you reading about? Yeah. Oh, I get it. And Food Fight is such a good title. That's perfect. Well, that's a perfect title. I love that. When I read it, I was like, yeah. I mean, that just makes sense on so many levels. That's really smart. It's a fun title and a fun and it's fun to talk about. And I I really appreciate you letting me talk about food fight. Oh, you are you gonna do another book? Like are you gonna do a series on this or what what's happening next? I I have some ideas. I have been working on a YA book, so for an older audience that is completely different from this. Um, but I do have some ideas about maybe a second book related to food fight, related to one of the characters, not Ben. Um, and I have another middle grade book that I wrote a couple of years ago that needs some reworking that I could pull out um, and work on again. But I also might want to sit in my backyard and just read for a little while this summer. Yeah, writing a book's a big deal. And then now you've got to do the speaking tour, right? And so it's a yes. lot of work. I think that's what happens. Authors get all in the creative zone and then all of a sudden it's more work on the other side than the actual creative process. <laughs> well, it's just, it's different work. But it, yeah. it, it does take up a lot of um, mental energy and promoting yeah. myself is not, that's not something that feels very comfortable to me. It's it's a different deal. Yeah, it's a whole other world, but I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you wrote it. So well, thanks thank for you. joining us and very excited. So everyone uh, go pre-order the book or if you're listening to this later, obviously go get it. It comes out June 27th. It's called Food Fight by Linda B. Davis. You can go to our website, Linda B. as in beautiful. So Linda B. Davis author.com is the website to go. We also want to thank our friends over at booksforward.com. We've been working with them, connecting with authors for years. I mean, I think we're on over two decades now. And uh, so they are awesome. So also keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. We're here every second Wednesday with the show talking with authors and you never know what we're going to talk about. But apparently today it's all about books for the middle grade, which I love. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you.